Welcome to the Goodness Podcast, the Middle East's first platform dedicated to tackling women's health in a real and honest way. I'm your host, Noor Tahini. My guest on the podcast today is Dr. Shefali Verma, an integrative medicine doctor based in Dubai. She's joining me on the podcast to discuss the impact of our modern lifestyles on our health, mitigating stress, and how to supplement correctly. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good. Very well. Thank you. Good. Before we dive into all of the hundreds of questions I have for you, and we'll have to to limit it to a few, I wanted to ask you to first explain to our audience what exactly is integrative medicine and how does it differ from conventional medicine? I mean, I don't really want to. I trained actually conventionally. I went Mm -hmm. down the root of a medical doctor. I, you know, trained in the UK. I did my master's in the UK going down a conventional route. The way I look at integrative medicine is looking at you as a holistic entity. So right now, especially where we are and in the US, I think it follows a very specialist driven, you know, your tummy hurts, you go to a gastro, Mm -hmm. your nose is running, you go to an ENT. Whereas Nobody necessarily thinks that whatever might be going in your, going wrong in your digestive system might be the reason why your nose is running. No one links like the different, you know, um, organs or whatever have you systems together. Mm. And the way I try and look at it, and obviously, you know, I'm always learning, I'm always trying to change, um, is that everything affects everything. You know, it's like, you know, your, your digestive system affects your nose, your head can affect your so and so forth. And it's looking for root cause, as opposed to like symptom controlling. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not somebody who you come to and say, here, take an antibiotic or here, take a painkiller, got pain. I like, I am a very curious and inquisitive person. I'm like, well, why is that happening? You know, and it often doesn't just happen when you come to see me, it's been probably going on for a long time. And I try and look at linking the dots, as it were, um, and looking at all your systems together. So you're like a biological detective. I mean, you know, I have actually been called that once before, um, which sounds like really strange. But yes, in a sense, it's really looking at like the different aspects of why did it happen, you know, and hopefully not just controlling symptoms, but controlling symptoms once and for all, we hope. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of the way I think I call myself an integrative medicine person. Mm. If you, when you were describing that, it reminded me of uh, Dr. House. Have you ever watched Dr. <laughs> yeah, House? I have, yeah, I have. He seems so much more smarter than me, though. <laughs> yeah, his cases are a bit un- unbelievable. So you practice in Dubai out of a clinic in healthcare city. Yeah, that's right. What's it called? Uh, it's called the Institute for Biophysical Medicine, yeah. IFBM for short. IFBM. In your practice, what have you, like, is there, are there any recurring themes? Is there anything that you're noticing in a lot of your female patients? So digestive health is where I started, I would say. That's what I probably believe that that's what I got to be known for first, you know, um, digestive symptoms. But through that, I think more autoimmune, more thyroid. Mm. I do see a lot. It is chronic diseases mainly. So like I said, I don't really see acute medicine, but like the chronic diseases where, you know, they just believe something else can be done as opposed to taking this pill. Mm. And that was it, Mm. you know, and it changes. You know, I've done years of body composition where people would come and be like, you know, I just want to lose weight or, you know, then, you know, I had areas where it was like hormonal driven, you know, mainly, but it all does start off with the digestive system. And in functional medicine, we do believe that 
the gut has, you know, links to everything and is the most important thing um, to fix. And that's what technically goes wrong first. Yeah, they call it the second brain, right? Correct. And the, the gut became very trendy in the wellness world like five, six years ago. And we heard the words like microbiome for the first time in mainstream, you know? Yeah, correct. They've thought now gastroenterologists will talk about, you know, the probiotics and the microbiome and looking for like small intestinal bowel overgrowth. But, you know, I would probably say that, you know, the integrative side of things and the functional medicine, they were looking at it way before. I mean, I've been doing this now in Dubai alone, like my clinic's been um, in Healthcare City for 11 years. Mm. And we've been talking about the digestive system for even before then, you know, but now to see mainstream, you know, medicine actually looking at the digestive system and you might not be sick, but you're also not well. And mm. to talk to that person who's not well and not just call it IBS is progressive. Yeah, that's super interesting, actually, that you say that because I struggled. I, I suffered from IBS about two years ago where I couldn't understand why. And the GP sort of told me, you know, it is what it is. People have it and it's inexplicable. And it's that difference, like you said, between being well and being sick. You know, we it, it's definitely a privilege to be able to dig into your health and to be able to say, I don't want to just settle for Can I being optimize? okay. I want to optimize. I want to feel great. Um, and so that's definitely sort of the the what kind of pushed me down this route of digging deeper, investigating, like, for instance, I suffer from skin problems. So I have, sometimes I have eczema and allergies and rashes that I can't, sorry, not allergies, but rashes that I can't explain. I'm turning this into like a diagnosis <laughs> session. <laughs> and and I went to, and if I go to my dermatologist, she just prescribes me some topical creams to put on there. And that was fine for a year. But then in year two, I was like, there has to be something more. And it's this frustration with not knowing what the root cause is and having this, this almost like this like certainty that this is just the manifestation of something else that's wrong. But also it's, if you ask the question, I wasn't deficient in that topical cream. That is not what the mm. cause was. You know, you wouldn't be happy with just putting a bandage on the problem if it kept reoccurring, if yeah. you didn't have the cream. Mm. And I think that that's where integrative medicine, I think, is becoming more and more popular because people are now not settling for, you know, the answer of here's the cream, put it on, or this is it, or, you know. And I think that is because of the rise of, like, you know, the internet and mm -hmm. people and, you know, Dr. Google, you know, he's putting out his, you know, potential diagnoses and people are reading them and thinking, oh, there's got to be more. Whether he's right or wrong, you know, it makes people question. And I think, you know, with IBS, when somebody comes and says, IBS. IBS is not technically a diagnosis. It's, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. I cannot find anything else wrong with you. Mm. So here we'll label you with IBS and here you go. But there has to be a reason. And what is it? It's almost like saying when people say stress causes my breakouts of eczema. Well, it doesn't technically cause the eczema. Something breaks down in you when you are stressed, which allows your body to then come out with what is ever your weak point, and therefore eczema comes out. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like Everything a different way connected. of thinking. Mm -hmm. It has to be connected, you know, because your skin doesn't act by itself. You know, it is a area where we detoxify skin. Same thing. Something's going on somewhere else, and we need to look for that, mm -hmm. you know, especially if it's reoccurring. Yeah. 
you know, you can grow out of it, obviously, kids, you know, but generally, if it's still reoccurring, one, there is something going on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's quite frustrating to be told by your doctor that there's, you know, like nothing there, nothing to worry about and just stop, especially in the age of, I think I was reading an article the other day that said, this is the age of embodiment. So it's the age where we keep being told, listen to your body, listen to your body, you know, yeah, like, so true. yeah. And, um, and, and I think that's going to be one of the, one of the results of that is that we're going to be paying much, much closer attention to symptoms or things that we would normally, norm, that we would have normally brushed under the carpet. And, you know, this happens a lot. So it's one thing is to be like, you know, I used to feel better and I don't feel so good. I know I'm not myself. What's wrong with me? That's one thing. But there's also those little, lots of people who are like, no, I'm fine. And then only when they're better, they're like, oh, I didn't realize how not fine I was. Mm. You're, and I say this often in clinic. I'm like, you'll only know how good you can feel when you feel it. Mm. If you do what you've always done, you are going to get the same result. Yeah. You know, that is just the way it works. Yeah. You know, if you want change, you got to change. True. You That's know? true. What are your thoughts on intolerances? So obviously, like, I don't know if you've seen my Instagram. So over the summer when I couldn't work, you know, as you can tell, I like talk a lot. I was like, what am I going to do with my time? Um, and so I started to put little like videos on Instagram and stuff like that for like, just so that I can like educate a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a very layman terms educator. You know, I don't really want to teach doctors. I don't, I just want to teach the normal population and empower them, I guess, with a little bit of knowledge. And so one of the things that I went through was intolerances because we, we, talk about intolerances, but we, we're, we're not sure, if, are we meaning allergies? Mm -hmm. Are we meaning food sensitivities? Or are we actually meaning enzyme, you know, deficiencies that are actually called intolerances? So food sensitivity testing is totally different. You can develop antibodies against foods over the course of your life that can change. That is more food sensitivities. Intolerances, you may not actually have the enzymes to break down certain things, like I'm lactose intolerant mm. or histamine intolerant. You don't have the enzymes to break it down. Totally different. And allergies is a totally different immune system that, you know, arises, that happens almost immediately, and sometimes it doesn't actually ever go. And that's when you have the EpiPen and the nut allergies and so on and so forth. So A, they're all very, they're three different, like, you know, subcategories, as it were. I predominantly work with patients with related to food sensitivities. Mm -hmm. That is a common test that I will do because I want to know what are you inflaming on in this time right now. Yeah. And it's not so much about only the foods that you've become sensitive to because a lot of people are like, oh, everything I eat, it's on there. So it's a rubbish test. It's actually not because there are a lot of people who test and they don't have everything that they eat on it. Why is your digestive system a little bit more leaky compared yeah. to someone else's digestive system? So when you eat, it goes through into the bloodstream and your immune system reacts, whereas somebody who eats everything doesn't. The leakiness of the gut is what is relevant, mm -hmm. not so much just the food. To feel, If you want to feel better, avoid those foods, but you still need to get down to the root cause. of Why did I develop that digestive system that was that little bit more leaky than X, Y, and Z, and I have those sensitivities? So basically, when you're looking at your food sensitivity test and you notice that a lot of the foods on there are foods that you eat on a daily basis or you eat a lot of, is that, could that be an indicator that you have leaky gut? Yes. And, and could you explain leaky gut really quickly to our listeners if they're not familiar with it? So generally speaking, the digestive system, the cells that line the digestive system are really tightly packed. Like we create a really nice barrier. Um, so foods that you consume, we have a mucus, you know, 
membrane and everything like that. But basically, it creates a really good barrier from what we consume and what goes into the actual cell. So if we have to like, you know, fuel a cell, it can directly pass into the cell. When you have leaky gut, the, the lining of the digestive system may not be as tight. It's not something that you can see with the naked eye, but microscopically, they may be a little bit like further apart. Um, and so they are, the tight junctions are no longer as tight. So foods that pass into the digestive system may actually leak in between the cells mm -hmm. into the bloodstream. The bloodstream has its own immune system. The immune system's like, hang on a second, what are you doing here? Let me develop an antibody against you because I need to fight you. That is what my immune system is for. And that immune system has a memory. So every time you consume that food, that antibody is like raised and then it causes some form of inflammation. So, you know, there are certain foods that are a lot more allergenic than other foods. And that is your gluten, your dairy, you know, your eggs to an ex uh, mm -hmm. also um, as well. And, you know, those foods can also technically damage the lining. In functional medicine, we believe gluten by itself can damage the lining and make it more leaky. But over time, depending on how many foods you are inflaming you at that point, tells me that there's something has created that and what can that be? And that becomes the root cause and what you need to be looking to tackle with versus just, oh, avoid these foods for a year. Oh, you feel better. Oh, now I'll introduce mm. them again. Well, why wouldn't that happen again? What is often the, the cause of the leaky gut? So a mixture of different things, generally an um, imbalance in your microbiome for sure. So our digestive system has an environment. The environment has good and bad guys. When the bad guys are more than the good guys, think of a village where you have a lot more baddies versus like, you know, your police guys, they will do their damage. There's no point in putting more police guys. These guys know where to hide. They know what to do mm. by that time. No, you got to get rid of them. And then you repopulate with the good guys. And then you need to like, you know, repopulate with the good guys and have them grow. So you need to give them the right tools in order to grow. So eat the right foods and the prebiotics, not just give probiotics, but your prebiotic fibers to make mm -hmm. sure that they're growing to recreate that perfect garden of a digestive system, which takes time. And then reheal the lining too. You know, there are nutrients and things like that that I would give people over time, you know, two to four. It doesn't really start overnight. I always tell people this. It's like this, 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 that, that. Mm -hmm. You're like, doctor, oh my goodness, now, now, what, all, what's happening? But it's often not the that. It's the little this is that ended up in the that that we need to be looking at, you know. And that often will take time, you know. And that's when the rebalancing and the rehealing and the relearning and stuff like that happens. And the and leaky guts, which creates like a, a, maybe like a permanent state of inflammation or, or heightened state of inflammation in your body, that's been linked to autoimmune diseases. Because there is an element of those antibodies that are now excessive, right? Like you've got leaky gut. Think about like all the different things that can flood through from the digestive system. Bacteria can flood into the bloodstream too. You know, you're, anything can flood out of the digestive system into the bloodstream, you will create more and more antibodies. So the burden of antibodies can rise. And often when I look at autoimmunity, there is an element of an adrenal dysfunction also because technically, regardless of the immune system, the immune system should be able to tell, you know, I need to defend against this. 
but not necessarily attack yourself. Mm. But at some point during the autoimmune creation, the immune system also fails to recognize what is I need to fight from the outside versus what is me on the inside. And that's when those, they call it like molecular mimicry. It starts to mimic various, you know, organs. And in the thyroid, say, for example, your thyroid, so you find antibodies high against your thyroid, mm. creating an immune system reaction, whether it's attacking the thyroid, whether it's whatever it is, you know. So you need to not only give that person a thyroid medication, but you also need to try and decrease that burden of antibodies, mm. you know. And that can be a mixture of different things. So again, it's not just about taking away the food. It's about looking at the immune system also. And then looking at like, you know, why the immune system may be affected, if the adrenals are affected in terms of stress. And that's why a lot of these flares that happen, happen in a stressful time. We're always stressed. And nowadays people are always stressed. And I'm actually so glad you said that because when you live in a society where everybody's stressed, it almost becomes the cool thing to say. Mm. Like, we're all stressed or I'm stressed. It never comes about who's more stressed and who slept less and who did more of an all night. But it's actually not that cool. Mm. You know, stress might be common, but it is not normal. And when we normalize stress, which we do really from, if you think about the, from the age of 20, when you start you know, working or university, it just becomes a more and more of a normal thing. And then, you know, you reach like, so you're 50 and then you're like, oh my gosh, like now I'm sick and I've got a chronic disease. But yeah, 30 years of like stress yeah. you were okay with until your body could no longer handle it. Is it true that the body doesn't differentiate between different types of stresses? So like a really stressful workout at the end of a really stressful day is just your body perceives it all as the same stress? So, I mean, is it true or not true? I mean, I would probably say yes. I mean, stress is stress, stress you know. Um, and a lot of people talk about good stress and bad stress. But, like, I think if, you're, or if your baseline is okay and you did an element of training that was high intensity, your recovery would be rather fast, right? If because, your baseline is okay. Correct. But mm. if you're if you're heightened all the time and then you feel like, oh, I must get that working because now I'm going to feel guilty mm-hmm. if I don't, then you're actually accumulating loads of different bad stresses that you're not going to recover from that. It's going to take you much longer. And that's when people get sick. Those are the people that end up with, you know, adrenal fatigue because it's gone. It ate away at them slowly, you know, and that petrol tank is now empty. Is adrenal fatigue kind of another word for burnout? Yes, it is. Okay. I mean, I think now conventionally adrenal fatigue might be totally different. I'm talking about functional medicine-wise, adrenal exhaustion, you know, adrenal dysfunction. Yeah, it's no longer working as effectively as it should be. But if you, like, are producing X amount of cortisol, like, throughout your years from morning to night, I mean, we have a circadian rhythm. Wake up fresh. As the day goes down, we wind down, we slowly, we're able to wind down, we sleep, we recover, we wake up fresh. I mean, that's how we are designed. But over years of like, say, high stress, suddenly that same curve kind of shifts upwards. Yeah, we wake up a little bit more stressed and stressed. Yes, it comes down, but it's still kind of a little bit heightened throughout the Mm. day. Eventually, nighttime, you'll talk to those people and they'll be like, I'm tired, but I'm wired. Now that stress at night is no longer low enough for you to wind down and fall asleep, let alone like our screens and our TVs and all the things that 
But even if you try to sleep, those people are like, I try, but like I just, my mind does not shut off, mm-hmm. right? You're tired, but you're wired. That's because your cortisol is way too high at night. We need to take whatever we can to like yin you at night. You know, I believe in the day you should be yang, at night you should be doing everything to yin you. You know, you should not be training late at night. You should not be. And that's why it becomes very individualized. You know, and then eventually the body kind of gives up and be like, you know, I can't produce any more cortisol for you. And those are the people who are, no matter how much sleep they get, they're just tired all the time. Mm. And those are the people that whoever in the office, whichever corner they're sitting, they got sick, you got sick. And they get better in like three days, but you get better in six weeks. Like you're all, those are the people who end up with the autoimmune. Those are the people that who end up, you know, being exhausted Mm. and in burnout and then they get the anxieties and then they get the you know because there's an element of functional medicine that believes leaky gut leaky brain yeah so leaky brain and brain inflammation and then you're tired and then your mood and then you're all your happy neurotransmitters are made in your digestive system so if your digestive system is not good well you know what you're not going to feel happy. You're not going to feel all those things. I think that's that's so crazy and maybe worth repeating again because I, I remember that when I found out that your happy neurotransmitters aren't actually made in your brain, they're made in your gut. I, that blew my mind. Yeah, so all your neurotransmitters, your chemicals that have an effect on your mood mm-hmm. are made in your digestive system. And that's why like when you're stressed and you're about to like, you know, do this presentation, you have like butterflies in your tummy. Or like, I need to go to the toilet or, you know, it affects your digestive system. And that's why people don't realize that how they feel is impacted also and can be very much impacted by what's going on in their digestive system because also the digestive system does affect the brain too. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I went to the U.S. and I was doing, um, learning about children and one of the things that the doctor was like, he was going through a case study and he said this kid like was chronically constipated and you know by the third day this kid was a nightmare he was like obnoxious and like rude and mean and a different child the moment he had a poop Hmm. this kid was fine because also if you don't detoxify as often as you should detoxify you are just building up toxins and where do they get stored in the brain in the fat in the you know Everything works together. It's never just one system. And I think the more we're open-minded to understand that, as as much as it might seem, oh, wow, really complicated, it's also, there's so much more hope. Mm. Because I always tell my patients, we don't need to use all our secret weapons at once. Let's use this and then this. And then at least we have so many things to work. But whereas if we use all of them at once and it doesn't work, what didn't work? You're never yeah. going to know. Yeah. I think also... You just remind me when you said that one of the frustrating things about this approach, though, is it's not we've been used to quick fixes, quick fixes. It's a quick pill. It's a quick, you know, cream and it acts quickly. And within a few hours, you start to see something within a week, your problem has gone or, or your symptoms are gone. But for example, I'm working with a naturopath now to try and figure out the whole rashes and allergy thing. And she's like, OK, try this and come see me in one month. And I'm like, one month? But what if that doesn't work? She's like, we'll try something else. I'm like, okay, so this is going to be like a year-long process. And, you know, and, and that if, if there was one thing that I would say is negative about this approach, it is that. But it is negative because of what we got used to. Yeah. But it is also all the quick fixes and the conveniences of modern day, mm. you know, lifestyle. That got us here. That has got us here in the first yeah. place. You know, we have become extremely 
impatient. What do you think are sort of the the worst aspects of our modern lifestyles in terms of the impact they're having on our bodies? Well, I think like obviously food mm. for sure, you know. I mean, one thing about like obviously during this entire like um, pandemic era, when you when you stay at home and you're at home and you're not really you're worried about the delivery guy delivering delivery and then what, what at the beginning when lockdown happened everyone's like you know clean the bags take the bags mm-hmm. leave it outside don't bring it inside you started to cook a lot more at home and those there was either those people who cooked a lot more at home and ate really healthy and then decided to change their life and suddenly like everything was amazing they're like wow I can eat I can sleep I can train I can it's the best thing ever and then those people were like everything's rubbish mm-hmm. and they've gone completely the opposite way. But the more the food makes a big difference in what you choose to eat. I don't think people have enough knowledge that it's not just food that feeds us, but food has a huge impact on us, on hormones, on sleep, mm-hmm. on digestion, on inflammation. Because food is information, right? It's, Food's everything. Yeah. It's the only thing that we actually put inside and the air we breathe into our bodies to let them do its mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. you know, and we ignore it, you know. Um, so food, sleep. Like sleep is just the most, it is, you know, a necessity. It's not a luxury. We grew up thinking that, oh, I'm so cool. I can like totally function on like four to five hours sleep. It is going to catch up with you. Sleep is so important in terms of repair, in terms of your adrenals, in terms of recovery, but in terms of hormones and your circadian rhythm. And not just even the amount that you sleep, but the timings you sleep. Like everything is works at a particular hour. And I don't think we put enough emphasis on the need and, you know, this is important. That is my priority. I really don't. Obviously, like, you know, fluid and hydration becomes really important. Training and moving. I think socially too, like I'm talking about very much here. Like I've been here for like so many years now. I think 2007 is when I arrived, but um, I obviously grew up here. But I think here also, I think there's an element of, you know, who do you choose to spend your time with? You know, you're doing the right thing because you're spending time with people. You think you have to say yes to do this, but, you know, they don't really fill my bucket, you know. Mm. Your social environment makes a difference, you know. Your thought process makes a difference. I don't think really we're now, when I look at my kids and they've been taught meditation and mindfulness. No yeah. way, in school? In school, mm. you know. We heard it so late that it almost became linked to like, you know, gypsies and like airy fairy and you think that it's a whole load of you know rubbish right but it is so important and so powerful because it mitigates as much controllable stress as you think you can control if you learn to do it well and right and consistently Mm -hmm. you know um when it comes to like exercise also I think that there's a whole educational aspect of it you know people chase fatigue. Mm. They don't chase performance, you know, and that's something to be said for. If you're going to like, you know, constantly kill yourself every single time. And, you know, I'm not like, you know, perfect. I've definitely made loads of mistakes where I've overtrained and then I've had to take time off. But learning to train smartly is more important than to be training every day, killing yourself, you know? Yeah, there's that whole mentality, which is like no days off, no rest days, give 110% every day. Um, In everything though. Yeah. Right? In everything. And if you don't do it, then you feel guilty. So you're creating stress when you're kind of should be resting and not doing anything. So that's more stress. And I feel like if you give 110% one day, you 
can't like almost by definition give as much the next day because it's like what's that saying robbing peter to feed paul or uh, yeah. s- something like robbing yeah totally but if you do give 100% even the following day say you still make that many reps and that you have definitely stolen something from yourself for sure mm. to be able to do that to then need maybe two more days to recover to yeah. do the same yeah. and it all catches up so again like everything it all accumulates it accumulates and eventually you will break down could you talk a little bit about the link between stress and weight management so i mean this is how i generally i'm a very simple person I think, first of all, when somebody comes in and they're overweight and they're stressed, the first thing you have to do is like to look at stress in itself. Like why, what do you do when you're stressed? Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is where I say a person who during lockdown, there's that person who gained 20 kilos during lockdown. And then their person who became like 10% body fat, the best in shape in their life. That is like a whole mindset. The person who, you know, for example, gained lots of um, weight could be that person who's like, you know what? When I'm stressed, I'm not going to train. So I don't have mm-hmm. the motivation to train. And because I don't have the motivation to train, it doesn't really matter what I eat. But you know what? This amount of carbs and sugar actually makes me happy. And because I'm do- not doing anything, I'm going to eat a lot more. So calories, definitely. Choice of calories, macros, all that goes out of the window, really. They also eat a lot more stuff that they possibly are more inflamed and they don't feel so good, mm-hmm. you know. Then you don't sleep. And when you don't sleep, there are hormones that are raised at night when you sleep and sleep enough that actually affect your appetite, suppression. So you're full versus also, you know, what you want to eat. You know, those things get moved when you don't sleep enough. It's like, you know, you think about it. When you you had dinner at home, you get on a plane, you do an overnight, you know, flight, say somewhere, you reach there, you reach there in the morning, yet it's still maybe middle of the night in where you started. You still will get out and feel like you need to have breakfast Mm -hmm. at that different time zone that isn't your time. Do you know what I mean? It's like suddenly like you haven't slept, you're tired, you always want to eat more. You know, I remember reading this article about like two sets of kids. I mean, I don't, you know, remember loads of it, but I remember two sets of kids. One was kept up at night watching video games and the other slept. And then they opened this like kitchen out to them where they had loads of sugar and stuff like that. And they had loads of like good food too majority of the children who were up watching video games and playing video games, they went to all the sugary, all the rubbish, whereas the kids who slept at night actually kind of tried to like balance it out. Mm. They ate like relatively, you know, a little bit better and then chose a little bit of sweet because kids love sweet, but it wasn't like like animals. Is it because your brain knows that by eating the sugar, it'll get this boost that it is craving right now because it's so low? Tired, yes. But yeah. it's also the fact that hormones are affected when you mm. don't sleep. Mm. And so your satiety gets messed up and you actually crave a lot more like sugar. Yeah. You know? And serotonin is a happy neurotransmitter and it is actually comes with carbs. Carbs actually, mm-hmm. that's why people are comfort eating a lot more carbohydrates when they are not feeling so happy, you know? Um, so it kind of still goes down that sort of like path. And then the more sugars and carbs and calories and stuff, your insulin starts to like mess up, you know? And when your insulin starts to mess up, then really your storage, it's a hormone of storage. Then you start to store more fat and stuff like that. And there is that whole midsection area where people always link it to stress. They never had belly fat. And now that they got belly fat because, you know, they're just stressed all the time. So there's a lot to be said for that. And then there's visceral fat, fat you cannot see that's around the organs that is even more dangerous and more inflammatory, you know, but it is accumulated, not just from food, not 
food, sleep, all those things affect inflammation. Mm -hmm. And one of my first ever mentors used to talk about insulin being the hormone of aging. And all diseases have an element of inflammation. Inflammation is the root cause of most diseases. Mm -hmm. So when we look at how do we tackle these people is to control as much controllable inflammation as we can, because then we are left with what we can't control and we can deal with that. Would you use stress and inflammation interchangeably? Um, No, I probably wouldn't. I probably, because I feel like what you consume and you do in your lifestyle when your stress can inflame you, Mm. stress directly in terms of, you know, I'm stressed about this job might affect my, what I choose to eat, Mm. how I choose to not sleep because I can't sleep. And those things may inflame you. But cortisol as the hormone itself in small doses can is repairable. Mm. You know, it's not like it's it's important to an extent, you know, an extent as well. It's just when there's no regulation of it. Yeah. What are the and that makes sense, but what are the main causes then of inflammation in the body? I mean, anything can cause inflammation. Anything. Yeah, like- anything. Like the air we breathe, the petrol, the the things that we put on our skin. Yeah, yeah. I mean what we eat food sensitivities, they all cause inflammation. Fat, fat is inflammatory. So hormone irregularities in women that make them hold more fat, the more fat you have, the more inflamed you are. Hmm. You know, inflammation in terms of like, you know, your teeth not being clean. You don't visit a hygienist regularly enough. The more antibiotics you have affects so inflammation is what it's it's a reaction. It's like what is it? It's when your body is unhappy. It's when something is not going the way your body wants it to and be. And the immune system is, you know, almost primed. Okay. Yeah. So there's like more water. I always say this in clinic too. The solution to the body's pollution is dilution. Yeah. The more polluted your body is, the more water is going to flood and try and dilute it to have the effects of it less. You know. But we live in an environment where you know, our air quality is not that great. You know, our, what we eat technically is not as enriched as it was before in our parents' generation because our farms were farms for, say, the family, but not like a business for an entire, like, community. Using the same, you know, um, soil more and more. Yeah, soil depletion, like, uh, industrial farming. Yeah, you know, all those things have an impact in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, things were seasonal. But here you can get everything at any time of the year from anywhere in the world. I mean, the further we move away from like the from what our lives or what we've evolved to live like or be like, you think the more inflammation we're getting. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, when I turned 40, one of the biggest things I wanted to talk about was stress is common, but it's not cool. You know, and a lot of things happen to your body when you are stressed. You know, what the digestive system gets affected, your sleep gets affected, your all those things get affected. That's just by stress. So there's controllable stresses and there's uncontrollable stresses. And I did this in a video. We have one bucket. It's called stress. It's filled with two types of water, controllable, uncontrollable water uncontrollable stresses. The only way this bucket is not going to overflow 
is if you control the controllable. If you add to it and you don't control that and you let everything go, you are going to feel overwhelmed. You are going to get into a state of exhaustion. If me and you, we both have a paper cut, but you didn't sleep last night, you ate rubbish, you're bloated, you're constipated, you feel gross. And I slept and I trained and you know, I did my meditation. This I'm feeling like high and I got a paper cut. That paper cut is not going to hurt me. Hmm. It is going to hurt you far more than it is going to hurt me. I'm just in a better place, you know? And those are the things that I think people need to, especially now when we're living and being part of this pandemic and everybody's so stress is control, at least the control, the control, and those things are in your hands. When you're at home and you're like, whatever, whatever, whatever is all going to add, you're making your life far harder than if you were to control the things that are in your control. All right, that was it for episode one. Tune in for the next episode with Dr. Shafali, where we'll be discussing how to mitigate stress and how to supplement correctly. Thanks for listening today. If you're not familiar with goodness, head to www.goodness.me to access the online platform and articles and follow us at goodness on Instagram. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and share it and we'll see you next week.